Amen. And good morning. And I want to take a moment to say Happy Mother's Day to our mothers. And um, you are appreciated. And you may not always feel that way as your kids interact with you and say certain things to you at different times, but you are appreciated. And um, I appreciated that video earlier as it just kind of talked about mothers and all of us, I'm sure, at different times can hear the different things that are said. As, uh, as Rich was sharing that with, video with me earlier this week, he said, what do you think of our using this? And we sat down and he says, oh, I hear some of this so often. And I hear, I hear, I hear my mom in this stuff. And then I listen to that and I hear, I hear, heard my mom and I hear my wife and some of the things that are being said there. So, very cool. Very cool. Well, this morning I want us to turn again to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up at, at chapter 21, or excuse me, verse 21, not chapter 21, Matthew 5, verse 21. And we're going to be continuing to look at these red letters, and right now as we're kind of focusing in on things, we're focusing right now at this specific moment in on some of the things that Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount. Now again, I want to remind you who Jesus is speaking to. As we read these words, we, we have in our mind's eye this image of Jesus standing on the hillside and before him is this huge crowd. And you are correct. But the huge crowd is really not the focus of his message. That huge crowd gets to listen in as Jesus is really speaking to his disciples. You ever have a conversation with somebody? We were talking about this in back a little bit. You have a conversation with somebody, but someone else is there listening. And they're not the one being talked to. But as you're having this conversation, you're saying to yourself, I'm really glad that they are here and listening. That's what's going on here. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's teaching them. He's instructing them. But he's very glad that the crowd is there because they are listening and hearing. And again, that great statement at the end comes. And they, they were amazed at his teaching. Because he was teaching as one who had authority. He was not teaching as one like the rest of the scribes and Pharisees. He was not talking and teaching like the rest of the religious leaders. The way he taught, the way he spoke, the way he engaged just was different. Now the verses we're going to look at today are among those specific verses and among those specific passages that we're going to see some of this because as Jesus wades into the things we're going to walk through today, he's wading into values and perspectives that were established. And he challenges them. And in particular, as Jesus wades into these things and starts to talk about them, he deals with them very differently than I think the crowd anticipated. And he says, I want you to kind of focus in on the internal parts of you. So as we look at this, I think Jesus in particular is drilling down to the internals. What drives us, what shapes us, what motivates us. He's driving down into those areas where people on the periphery don't always see. Because as Jesus is speaking, he is talking about those established perspectives that are visible. But Jesus is driving to those things that take place below the surface. He's driving to those things that have resonance next to our heart and soul and that speak into how we live, that speaks into how we think, that speaks into the motives and the attitudes that shapes how we live, how we think, and then how we interact with others. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you very much for the time you give us today to think about your word, to wrestle with it. Father, to listen to the words of Jesus and to start to sift through and, and sift down and to ask, what does that mean for me and how does that shape how I can live and what I should be doing with my life? Father, guide our time, I ask, in Jesus' precious name, amen. 
Let's start in verses 21 to 26. We can follow along on the screen as I read, and then we'll kind of go back and, and walk through them a little bit. Jesus writes, he says, You have heard it said that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, You you fool, will be subject to hellfire. For if you are offering your gift at the altar, and, and and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way, with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will offer you, will, will, and the judge to the officer, and I didn't read that right. Let me go back. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. My eyes aren't always as good as they used to be, so I, I wish it was better. Life moves on. It's a challenge here. It really is a challenge. Anyone interested in being thrown in prison? Anyone consider themselves a murderer? No. But as Jesus starts to drill down on those things, he starts to speak to those things that are not at the surface, but at deeper levels. Let's kind of walk back through again. You heard that it was said of our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. He's challenging the status quo. He's challenging to set perspective. We're going back to the law. You shall not murder. It's established. We all understand that. But Jesus is encouraging them to rethink what that means. And as Jesus starts to delve into this, he starts to delve down to the deeper components, and he starts to delve down into the murderous, hateful, angry things that lead to murder, that lead to division, that lead to strife. He starts to delve down to and starts to touch and poke in these words those things that cause negative, ugly things to bubble up into our lives. It's nice when we can go, not a murderer. It's tougher. We start to deal with that. He's really an idiot, she's really a jerk. I wouldn't like to bleep, 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 bleep to them. Heart stuff, attitude stuff. It starts to get to the core of what's going on on the internal of our being. That place where anger and bitterness and rage resides. See, the crowds, as they're listening, they're looking at the expression And as long as I don't give expression, as long as I don't go murder, I'm good. But Jesus is saying, when you start to harbor those kinds of things in your heart, those murderous kinds of things, those ugly kinds of things in your heart, in your being, it's not good. It's not your good because the expression hasn't happened. It's, it's not good because those things that corrupt, those things that defile, those things that lead are there. And it's ugly. The one who says, you fool, you fool, Subject to help because it's potentially subject to hellfire. Back up, Jesus. Time out. 
I got them all around me. And that thought process, that attitude is dangerous? Yes. He takes it one step farther. He takes it to the pattern of behavior and how they live. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come and offer offer your gift. Then he leads into and he walks into the legal process. Reach a a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to court. In other words, don't trust in the shenanigans of the court. We need to remember something. Legality does not equate to morality. They're not synonymous. There are lots of things in our culture that are legal that are immoral. Deal with things differently. Deal with things differently. And if you don't deal with your adversary who's taking you to court, you might find yourself in a position that you never expected and never wanted to be in. But because you are stubborn, obstinate, you're unwilling to bend, you're unwilling to yield, you're unwilling to compromise, you're unwilling to take ownership, you can find yourself in deep weeds. Because they didn't do what you're supposed to do. He deals with the issue of going to the temple. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to do the external things. I'm going to jump through the correct hoops. But at the core, at the heart, that is not what God has ultimately wanted you to do. You want to go to the temple. You want to go to worship. You want to go celebrate the greatness and goodness of God. And yet there's stuff bubbling Go resolve those issues first before you start going to the temple to offer your gift. Resolve those issues first before you start to go to worship and praise. Because they're blocks and they're barriers. Now we hearken back to the earlier part of those Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Now, can we resolve all the tensions and issues that exist around us? No, we can't. But should we be initiating where we can? Should we be seeking to resolve where we can? Can we compel someone to resolve something? Can we compel it? No, you can't. We would like to. Even with my kids. You know, I have those pictures that show up. And I had one of these pictures show up the other day. And it kind of looked like Daniel was getting Brian. You know, we're going to, I'm going to get you kind of thing. And you could sit your kids down and you can do this with parents. You can do this with kids in the playground. Sit down. Apologize to one another. Tell each other you're sorry. Shake hands. And you can kind of try to do that stuff. But again, you still can't really deal with the heart, can you? I'm sorry. Not really. (laughs) I won't do it again. Yes, I will. You know, we can try to externally impose some of those things, but we really can't compel the changed heart. We really can't. But what we can do is we can deal with our own. And that's the challenge of what's going on here. And Jesus is talking to the disciples, a settled worldview in their mind. And Jesus is turning it upside down because he's letting them know there's a whole lot more to do not murder than just taking someone out. There's so much more substance there and it deals with the internals of what's going on inside of me and inside of you. He continues on, verses 29 and 30. No. Well, I said 29. I have 29 and 30, but I guess I skipped 27 and 28, didn't I? So let's go to 27 and 28. So if you're following along in your notes, I apologize. I skipped over 27 and 28. Didn't mean to. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Is it there? Yes, it is. Beautiful. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. 
Ten Commandments established. We all get it. We understand it. I can't mess around with someone else. I can't act inappropriately sexually with someone else. I can't commit adultery. I I, I can't do that. I get it. But how often have we heard someone say this? As a guy, I've heard other guys say this. Well, I've made my selection, but it doesn't mean I can't look at the rest of the menu. Ever hear someone say something like that? And God is saying, mm-mm. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And so culturally in the framework, we look at this whole thing, you shall not commit adultery. And so in that cultural framework, they look and it says, okay, as long as I keep my clothes on, I'm good. But I can go anywhere I want my thought process. And as long as I go someplace in my thought process, but I don't go to that place physically and in reality, I'm good. And Jesus comes back and says, no, you're not good. Because it's heart stuff. It's internal stuff. Because it's that heart stuff that leads to that physical, tangible stuff. And again, Jesus is taking the whole thought process, he's taking a whole conversation that's going on, and he's turning it upside down. It's the heart. It is the heart. It is the heart. It is the heart. And culturally, they're looking at behavior. And, and as long as I present well, as long as I conduct myself well for appearance, I'm good. But I can go anywhere I want in my heart. I can go anywhere I want within the four walls of my life where people don't look over the walls or look through the windows. And as long as people are not looking over the walls or through the windows, I'm good. And Jesus is saying, no. Because what corrupts you is the stuff that takes place on the internals. It's that private, hidden stuff that corrupts. He then goes on. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So is Jesus suggesting maiming? No. Is he suggesting self-mutilation? No. But he's drilling down on the core issues. We want to cheat. And there's things in life that we are enticed with and attracted to. And so we want to be able to dabble. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you, when you start to dabble, recognize that things draw us away from knowing God. So what is it? We start with the whole issue of the eyes and the heart. We, we talk about the issues of, of that lust stuff. But then that starts to draw us away. And then what else draws us away? The things that we see, the things that we want to touch, the things we want to get engaged with. What else draws us away? And as Jesus has that conversation, he's saying, listen, guys, it's better to cut off your hand than to be drawn away and choose not to embrace me. It's better to have your eye taken out than to be drawn away and not engage with me. It's better to have things cut out of our lives, removed from our lives, than to be drawn away and not experience and discover the grace of God. Hell is a really long time. 
When you read through the scriptures, when you, you come to those passages of scripture that talks about that lake of fire, and again, for me, the one I think of the most is that passage in Revelation. And it says, and they were cast in a lake of fire where there is suffering and torment forever and forever. It does not come to an end. So what is a month, a week, a year, a lifetime of satisfaction and enjoyment if that lifetime, that week, that month, that year, however long, that 10 years, that 20 years of time that has drawn us away and distracted us and kept us from pursuing the things that are most important, what is that worth compared to a lifetime, an eternity apart from God? in a place called the Lake of Fire. What's the value of that? It's, not, it's worthless. It, it is in comparison to realize that, if, you know, that cutting this out of my life would rescue me from chasing that path so that I'm not destroyed, but rather opens the pathway for me to know the Lord and walk with the Lord, then absolutely it's, it's a price well paid. Don't dabble. Don't dabble in those things that are going to distract and take you away. Now, in my thought process, I don't think it's coincidence that this stuff is caught in the issue and attention of adultery and divorce. Let's be honest. Those love relationships that exist can really be a distraction, can't they? And if we're not careful, we will enter into relationships that draw us in the wrong direction. And so there's a caution here. Guard yourself. Be careful what you allow to be dabbled in in your life that will pull you away and draw you away from that which is most important. Don't lose sight. And that's internal. That's internal. Learning to navigate to the important things of life, learning to guard yourself to preserve the important things of life is internal. He goes on. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a writ of notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In another area, Jesus said, Moses allowed you to pursue divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Then you also look at 1 Corinthians 7. It's also probably said the New Testament's most comprehensive and I would say kind of the final conversation on the issues of divorce and remarriage. But the whole issue that's going on here is that in the culture as it exists right now, it's easy divorce. It's no fault divorce. We've gotten tired of each other. Probably in particular, the husband has gotten tired of his wife. And so he divorces her, and he's going to find a new version, a younger version, a prettier version. Uh, he, I've, I'm, I'm tired of brunettes, I'm going to go look for a blonde. Or I'm tired of blondes, I'm going to go look for a redhead. Or however it might go. He gives a divorce. Now, in this culture, it's tough for a wife, for a woman, to make it on her own. And so for her to, to exist, to survive and move forward, she needs to remarry. So culturally, this whole framework, this whole attitude of kind of easy divorce exists. And Jesus comes back and he says, time out. And they said they were good up above because they're not committing adultery. Now Jesus comes down here and he equates that process to adultery. And they hadn't considered that before, and they hadn't thought about it that way before, and that was different. And he's turning the apple cart over again on them. He's starting to drill down and say, you know, 
You should probably work on your marriage. You should learn what it means to love your wife. You should really think about what it means to love your husband. Any married couples have it totally easy, no disagreements, no arguments, no frustrations. I jokingly say to people, this is one of those places where my grandma lied to me. She was telling me this story one day when I was young and stupid enough to believe that what she was saying was true. She said, your grandfather and I one day had an argument and we were both upset with each other and later on, grandpa came to me and says, let's not ever do that ever again. And we never did. She lied to me. Now, I've never, I never saw my mom and dad have a lot of fights or disagreements. They did. But they would do that more quietly in a different spot. But we do have disagreements. We do lock horns, butt heads. There are times when issues are going on in our lives where we really are challenged with one another. We're frustrated with one another. And in the culture here, move on. Time to move on. Jesus says, no, it's not time to move on. It's time to dig down. It's time to start to work. It's time to start to try to process through. And that's the challenge. And that all starts internally, doesn't it? You know those horrible words in marriage? You all know them. You've all been compelled at different times to say them. Come on. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And taking those words to learn to reconcile and learning to come together and learning to take ownership of those things that create blocks and barriers in relationship. See, Jesus was drilling down on patterns of behavior that were accepted. These were okay patterns. And Jesus is coming back and pushing back on that and saying these patterns are not okay. It's internal stuff that we need to work on. So often we are inclined when issues go on and tensions exist to point fingers. When most of the time we need to walk into the bathroom and look in the mirror. or wherever you have a mirror hanging in your house, go look in the mirror. That's often where the issues resolve, and that's where the starting points of reconciliation begin. See, it's that internal stuff. It's that taking ownership of that stuff that exists internally for that transformation to take place. Verses 34 to 37. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, because it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, and you can't even make a single one grow back if it falls out. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. I swear to you by the walls of Jerusalem, I swear to you by the temple. Therefore, since I swear by something, it really is important, and it's really meaningful. 
It's really, I really mean it this time. Let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. Where does that come from? Personal integrity. It comes from the substance of what's working on inside so that when you say yes to something, you will honor your word, you will keep your word, you won't hud, you won't fudge, you won't hedge, you won't try to create space to get away. When you say something, you will follow through and you'll do it. You will be honest, you'll be sincere, you'll be true. And when you have taken the time to think through things and you say no, then the answer is no. It doesn't mean maybe, it doesn't mean possibly, it doesn't mean what you can give me on the side. It means no. And again, that's internal stuff. That's inner working stuff. It's the substance of personal integrity and personal self-discipline. It's not about the external influences. We can't control anything around us. We can't control the walls in Jerusalem. We can't control the heavens. We can't control the earth. We don't control those things. But we can work at and control ourselves. And we can work at and control whether or not our word means anything. And whether our yes means something or our no means something. That we can control. But that flows from the internal mechanisms of our being. They're looking at this and they're frustrated. Because there's no hedging going on. They can't hedge. They can't shift. They can't adjust. Because when my yes comes out of my mouth, that it means I need to keep my yes. Or when a no comes through my lips, it means it's no. And I can't now shift. He goes on. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Have you heard language like that before? I'll get even. You do something to me, I'll do something to you. That's kind of where our world exists right now, isn't it? Tit for tat. And oftentimes it's not even tit for tat. It's tit for double tat because I want to get one up on you. I want to get ahead. I don't just want to get even. I want to get you better. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, cheek, turn the other to him also. Totally contrary, total contrary to the attitude that existed here in this cultural framework. And Jesus is going to start to walk into stuff that really annoyed them because of occupied territory, because they were occupied by Rome. Now back through this a little bit and think about how Jesus responded as he was arrested. If you're here for Palm Sunday, or not Palm Sunday, Good Friday, you saw the video and you saw that kind of vignette as some of the individuals were representing some of the, some of the, some of the disciples and some of the things that were taking place there. In, in the one where Peter whips out his sword and slices off the, the, the guard's ear. What does Jesus do? He reaches down and he picks it up and he reattaches the guy's ear. The guy is coming to arrest him. In less than 24 hours, Jesus is going to be in the tomb. Jesus knew that. Over the next hour or so, Jesus is going to start being smacked. He's going to start to be beaten. He's going to be starting to have words put into his mouth that are not true. All sorts of abuse is going to start to take place. Within a number of hours, he's going to be taken out back and whipped. And within the next 10 hours or so, he's going to be nailed to a cross and hung up before the world as a criminal, as a a vile offender. 
And how does he react and how does he respond? Does he call down the, the hosts of heaven? Does he say, guys, get them? Does he whip out his divine authority to call up a whirlwind and blow them away? No, he goes. The very words that he is teaching here and modeling here is the very way that he reacted. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, which is the Roman deal, go with him too. In the Roman world, someone could be pulled from the side of the road and say, carry this for a mile. And you'd be obligated to carry it and do it for a mile. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his sons to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And again, drilling down to the heart issues, those internal things, how I choose to react and how I choose to respond. Man, we, we, we have a lot of ugliness in our culture today, a lot of hatred, a lot of bitterness, a lot of just nastiness going on. It blows me away how free people feel on a keyboard to write and to post something online in this nebulous world of the internet. And to say just incredibly ugly, nasty, hurtful, bitter things. I think it's that Geico commercial. I still love it. I cancel you. You don't like my posting. I cancel you. That's not how it works. Off you go. We live in a world of canceling. I don't like something you say. I don't like the way you look. Canceled. All heart. All inner working stuff. Internal work stuff. Luke picks up on this. He picks up on this. Let me read what Luke has to say. It's in the same vein. But I say to you, say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you in a cheek, offer him the other one. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lead, if you lend to them from, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious and un, for, he, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And how does the passage in Matthew end? It says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
This is a real challenge, and it's inner work stuff. It's inner transformation stuff. It has everything to say with how we choose to interact, how we choose to to connect with people who are different and far from us. It, It has everything to say with how we are choosing to be on the internal components of who we are. And how we are functioning on the inside begins to filter out to how we behave and how we interact. For me, I think it shifts down to the next part. I just want to read this because I think this is part of where Jesus lands and then he shifts to prayer. We see this in the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Again, to catch the context. Ding, 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 ding. I'm coming to give to the poor. Ding, ding. I want you to see me. Ding, 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 ding. I'm coming through the poor section of town. Everyone had noticed that I'm here. Ding, ding. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Ding, ding. Everyone see. Everyone notice. Don't do that. Don't do that. Isn't it amazing how often rich people give stuff and then it gets reported? Put them on the board. Put them on a committee. Don't do that. Don't do that. They have their reward, Jesus says. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's tough to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, isn't it? Because we do so much together. So when you hit the donate button, put your left hand in your pocket. Don't, again, it's not to be advertised. It's not for public display. Why? Because it's internal stuff, not external stuff. It's about the internal of life, not the external of life. So that your giving may be in secret. And as your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And then he goes on to the issues of prayer. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners by, to be seen by people. Oh, dear Lord, as I walk down the street, I think of these wretched individuals. Oh, God, help them as they walk through the streets. Oh, Lord, as I stand before town hall, bless those in town hall. And Lord, as I turn and as I face the courthouse with my megaphone, oh, Lord, bless those in the court system. And no, 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 no. Don't. Whatever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The example the culture had was a bunch of hypocrites. See, that was the example. 
the religious leaders conducted and lived for the eyes of the crowd. And as they lived for the eyes of the crowd, they were teaching and modeling to everyone else, you also should be living for the eyes of the crowd. And Jesus is saying no. It's the internal stuff. It's that stuff between me and God that you need to be worried about, that you need to be thinking about. It's not you and the crowd. It's you and God. And we need to turn our eyes and we need to turn our thought process to the internals of ourselves and to start to ask questions about who I am, how I am living, what are my motives, what are my desires, what are the things that are driving my life, what are the motives that are shaping my life, who am I seeking to serve, who am I seeking to honor, who am I choosing to reflect, who am I desiring to be seen. This is not a conversation, a story that should be taking place between you and a crowd. Jesus is specifically talking to the disciples, but the crowd is listening. And he's saying to the disciples, guys, this is a journey about you becoming who I desire you to be. And it's between me and you. It's between you and the internals of your life and me. Not somewhere else. And as we listen to the words of Jesus, I want to encourage you today that I hope you're hearing that I think Jesus is asking you what's going on on the internals. And how are you dealing with the internals of who you are as you interact with who God is and as you interact with what God desires of you in your life? It's not about public display. It's about that internal transformation that he desires of you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again for your amazing graciousness and goodness to us. And Father, I thank you for the teaching of Jesus and Father, that reminder Father, you are looking very differently at us and your expectations for us are very different. It's not the public display. It's the quiet, private devotion. It's not that public position and image. It's that quiet and secret reality of who we are that you are most concerned with. Father, work it in us, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As you've been sitting here listening, I, I trust that you have seen how what Jesus is talking about here is so counterculture to where we live today. The world we live in makes us, it's all about image. It's all about what we put out there. It's all about what people see and what Jesus is talking about and what I believe the Holy Spirit is prompting each of our hearts about this morning is to start looking on the inside. So in a moment, we're going to take our offering up. It'll come from the back forward, as it usually does, as the ushers pass by. Feel free to stand and join as we sing. But before we do that, I'm going to ask each of you to just close your eyes and bow your heads for a few minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. What is he trying to tell you that you need to clean up on the inside? So do that. Bow your heads, close your eyes, allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to speak to you, and then I'll close us in a couple minutes.
Father God, we pray that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal to us inconsistencies, that you would reveal to us wickedness, that you would reveal to us evil, that you would reveal to us all of those things. that you don't want in our hearts. Father, we can have it all right on the outside, but if it's not right on the inside, you have have strong words for us. So search us. Know our ways. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Convict us and show us where we don't match up. And Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would cause us this morning to flip the, flip the table, to change, to repent, to walk the other direction. That it would no longer just be about doing the right things on the outside, but it would be about the stuff on the inside that we're working on, that you're working on in us, that we're allowing you to have your way with. Father, we want to walk out of here transformed people, different than when we came in this morning. quietness of this time, we ask that you would do that in us. And now as we give, Father, we ask that you would take what is given this morning, that you would multiply it and use it to further the message of Jesus here in our community and around the world, that others might understand who Jesus is and what you sent him here for. And it wasn't about a religion, but that was about a relationship that changes our eternal destination and transforms who we are. Father, we pray all of these things in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus and because we desire for you to receive glory from our living, from the way that we walk and talk.